Hey, BSN Denver listeners. We're really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Make sure you check them out today. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural. It's also not psychoactive, and the coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2019 at checkout to get your StravaCraft coffee for 20% off and shipped straight to your door. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwood. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in L.A. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. Welcome to the BSN Nuggets podcast. We're presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. You guys can also reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use promo code BSN20, BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Monday edition of the show, Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark here. Just coming out of practice Monday morning at Pepsi Center, the Spurs and Nuggets practice this morning. So we'll have a reaction from Denver's morning session. And we'll talk about some adjustments that we expect the Nuggets to make in game two here on Tuesday, both offensively and defensively. I went back and I think you went back as well and rewatched this game. I rewatched this game a couple times and a lot of stuff jumped out to me on that second watch that... We didn't notice and we didn't certainly hit on when we recorded that post-game podcast early Sunday morning. We'll hit on a lot of that today. Uh, the first thing I wanted to touch on, though, was when it comes to Nikola Jokic's game, and I wrote on this this morning on bsndenver.com, three offensive adjustments that the Nuggets can make for game two. I agree with what Mike Malone had to say after the game. I liked how Jokic played. I liked the reads he made out of the double team. And just know it was a typical Nikola Jokic performance, I think, from a pass-first standpoint and how he used his basketball IQ to read the defense and set up his teammates for tons of open shots. Denver just didn't really convert on those. Looking back on it, what do you notice about his game that maybe you didn't notice after that first watch? And what are you expecting from him in Game 2? Well, I'd agree that overall, I, I thought it was a, a really good performance. I tweeted these numbers out yesterday. The Nuggets shot 0 of 9 on, on open threes, which means the, the closest defender 4 to 6 feet away, according to NBA.com. They shot 5 of 17 on wide open threes, the closest defender 6 plus feet away. So they were 5 of 26 on open or wide open threes. I think if even a third of those had fallen, then we would have been praising Nikola Jokic. Like, Nikola Jokic always makes the right play, Harrison. Um, so... I think the the process was good. I think most times you probably win that game. That was kind of an aberration, shooting that poorly. 
And with all that said, there were select times when Jokic could have been more aggressive. You'd always like to see him shoot the ball more than nine times, no matter how the defense is playing him. The biggest sequence that stuck out was it was in the third quarter. There was about nine minutes to go. He had a chance for a wide-open flip shot in the lane. On the same possession, he passed up a a wide-open three from the top of the key. You know, I can kind of understand why he's passing up the the three-pointers because it's clear that, especially last game, he just didn't have a lot of confidence in his outside shot. If you're not feeling it, then okay, that's one thing. But any chance, any sliver of daylight that he has inside, he absolutely needs to take advantage of. He only got to the line twice in this game. Not enough, especially with how poorly Denver shot from three. And with the poor three-point shooting, really everybody needs to get to the line as much as they could, and Jokic included. <laughs> Looking back, though, people were talking after this game on Twitter and whatnot like Jokic was passing up open shots left and right. I think maybe he passed up like three really good opportunities to score. Maybe that's it. So I don't think it was nearly as extreme as a lot of people made it out to be. Yeah, I think I counted five in my rewatch. Of, uh, I probably should have taken that. Yeah, I think I saw like three. One of them was on Jakob Pertl. Another one that stood out was on Denver's second-to-last possession when Jokic took the ball to the rack and tried to dump it off to Paul Millsap. He's got to shoot that ball there or at least try to get to the line. He had been passing that ball off so much throughout the entire game that LaMarcus Aldridge, if you go back and look at the video, and I tweeted this out yesterday afternoon, Aldridge is pretty much playing him for the pass there, and he just pretty much gives it right to Aldridge, and uh, Denver turns the ball over, and then they miss their, their last couple shots down the stretch. He's got to shoot that or at least try to get to the line and, and draw a foul there. I did think it was interesting, though, Mike Malone saying Monday here at practice that he would like to see Nikola, when he gets the ball on the block, go earlier. And this is something that we said on the post-game show. When he was getting those one-on-one matchups, if he would have gone a few seconds earlier and executed that post move before the double team had gotten there, that would have led to some more scoring opportunities as well. So I like how Mike Mullen pointed that out too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's one way that you can kind of counteract those those double teams. Just just go before the help can arrive. And, you know, there was so much help that as the game wore on, you could almost see Jokic when he caught the ball. He just hesitated and, and sort of looked around. I mean, I don't want to say it spooked him because he made the, the right plays, you know, so much of the time, 14 assists in this game. But you're right, that that is an easy way for, you know, him to, to just not have to even deal with that double team is as soon as he catches the ball, you know, take a hard dribble, get your shoulder into somebody and and get to that hook shot you love so much. That's something he did really well going way back to the Nuggets and Spurs first matchup of the season. I remember that specifically before this series started going back and watching that game. He went really quickly in the post in that game way before those double teams could get there. So I would keep an eye out for that going forward. I thought the double teams got in his head a little bit from the perspective of he kind of got to a point in the second half where he would get the ball on the block, dribble once, dribble twice, and almost just wait for the double team to get there instead of forcing the double team to come to him. And I, that's why I think he's got to think score first. Like you got to expect the double team to make the right play out of it. But so much of the time Jokic operates where his first instinct is just the pass. And if a good pass isn't there, then, then oftentimes he'll look to score I think he's got to kind of flip that mentality a little bit right now. He's got to look to score first. That's got to be your first look. And, 
you know, if you can't get a good shot off because the double team is it's already coming at you, then then you make the pass. But you got to flip how that goes in your head. Yeah, he had a couple of possessions in the first quarter where he went really quickly before the double team, you know, could even get there. And I don't know if the Spurs ratcheted up how quickly they brought the double as the game went on, but he had a couple of really nice opportunities in the first quarter around the basket. So that's probably going to be the number one thing I'm watching here. Can he just execute some post moves quicker and get to the basket before those doubles come? I would expect them to. I, I could totally see a scenario. You know, first play of the game, you dump it to Jokic in the post. He makes a quick move to the basket. See what happens there. You know, see how the defense is playing him. Uh, if there's any adjustment for the Spurs, whatnot. And yeah, there really could be. You said this a couple minutes ago, but if Denver hits, you know, a couple more threes, we're probably not talking about the limited amount of post-up opportunities he had. Yeah, we would have been banging the drum. 14 assists. Oh man, second most <laughs> by center ever in a playoff game. Right. One Jamal Murray 15-footer was all they needed. Yeah, I'm, I'm always going to ride with Nicole Jokic. He's going to get you the win more often than not. So another adjustment that we could be seeing, and Michael Malone touched on this as well, and it's also in kind of the three offensive adjustments I outlined on bsndenver.com Monday morning, more pace. This game was played at such a slow pace, and we hit on this a little after the game, but... I feel like we should drive home the point again. Zero fast break points for Denver. That's pretty incredible when we're just looking at that stat. Then again, the Spurs only had two, I think. So this was a very slow game. This was a plotting game. I don't think it should have been a big surprise that that's how it was. The pace is generally going to be slower in the playoffs. And the Nuggets and Spurs, they were both bottom 10 in pace this year. I believe San Antonio was something like 22nd. Denver was 26th. So I don't think it was out of the ordinary that this game was played at a super slow pace. But the fact that it was, I think it benefited the Spurs. Uh, I absolutely agree. I, I think the Nuggets need to be looking to run, even though you know they had a lot of success in the offensive end by almost operating exclusively in the half court during the regular season. They have guys who can get out in transition. Will Barton is a guy who can take the ball off the rim, get a rebound, and take it down himself for a bucket. He's a, it's a very solid transition player. Gary Harris is a guy we know can, can play in transition. Him and Nicole have hooked up a, a lot of touchdown passes over the years. Yeah, Malik Beasley is another guy who I, I think can really excel in transition. He almost dunked Bertans through the hoop in that game. Uh, you know, on the rewatch, did you think he thought he made it? I think that's what we said the night of the game. I think he knew he missed it. I think you could see – I think he saw the ball go off the rim looking back on it. Yeah. I think I, I was wrong there. I think, he, I think he thought he missed it, but he was still jacked. Yeah. It was, it was a sweet play. But, yeah, I mean, the, the Nuggets, they're just a more athletic team. Um, Definitely. Which is – they can't say that compared to many teams in the NBA, but the Spurs are the rare exception. So that, that's definitely one area where they, they can look to have an advantage. And it's not like the Spurs are this defense that you can run up and down the floor on. One of San Antonio's principles in their game plan, it seemed, was to get back on defense. They – did not crash the glass really hard on the offensive end of the floor. They sent four guys back most of the time, and usually if there was anybody gla- crashing the glass, it was just one of their bigs. So they really wanted to get back and protect the paint. Uh, they really wanted to get back in transition. That was another thing, a quick tangent. The Spurs sank so low on really all of Denver's pick and rolls, the Murray-Jokic pick and rolls. 
the Monte Morris, Mason Plumley pick and rolls. They sunk so far into the paint. They were really just baiting Denver into taking those mid-range shots. And Denver took 18 mid-range shots, I believe, per NBA.com in game one. They averaged 12 on the year per game in the regular season. So the Spurs wanted Denver to slow up the pace. They wanted the Nuggets to take a ton of mid-range shots. And Denver kind of went right into that game plan. Uh, So it's going to be tough. It's not something where you say, oh, we got to get out in transition. We got to get on the fast break more. And it just automatically happens. You've got to look for your opportunities on missed shots and whatnot to run because the Spurs, they're not just going to let you get up and down. They're going to place a big priority on getting back in transition. So I'm interested to see how Denver kind of counters that. Yeah, I mean, definitely. The the Nuggets for three years have been so good at just whipping it side to side and spreading you out and, and kind of letting those small advantages add up to a really big one and, you know, just sagging your defense and, and letting Jamal and Monte and other ball handlers just take those mid-range shots is one way to just kind of get Denver out of that rhythm. Also, Michael Mullen mentioned this this morning, when you get out and transition more, there's going to be more opportunities to post Nikola Jokic up earlier in the shot clock and if you do that you know that goes back to what we were saying earlier he can make quicker moves to the basket and whatnot yeah and the last point I I have about the offense I think uh, I I said this after the game I I think the Nuggets just could have been a little more patient especially in the first half maybe you could chalk some of that up to just jitters of a lot of those guys playing in the first playoff game but when I went back and watched I mean the first possession of the game Jamal Murray gets a great steal dribbles down and just takes a, a three that really didn't have much of a chance going in. It was kind of reckless. And then what about the second possession? Will Barton, the Nuggets don't have numbers or anything. He goes like one on four to the rim. Yeah, and Will Barton had a, another one really later that quarter, and I thought Will Barton played a, a real good game overall, not to bag on the guy. But, yeah, the, the Nuggets took a lot of them early in the shot clock, and I think those shots are fine when you're rolling or like maybe maybe try one early in the game if it doesn't go. But, like, especially on nights when your three ball isn't falling, work that thing around and and really try to get to the rim. 41 of Denver's shots in game one came off of zero or one pass possessions. The ball is not popping. Right. The ball is not popping. Denver would go through maybe, you know, a couple reads, a couple dribble handoffs, and then kind of stall out, it seemed. This offense just doesn't seem to have as many counters as it had at one point. It just seems like it fizzles out after, you know, five or ten seconds of running through their stuff. And, yeah, the shot selection was a problem. I think some of that was just probably game one jitters or excitement of finally being in the postseason, especially on those first two possessions. Right? Yeah, I mean, Jamal Murray wanted to go for 40 in this game. And sure. That's okay. I, that's why, you know, you love the guy, but didn't work out for him in this game. Late in this game, I thought it was interesting in the fourth quarter. Gary Harris had a great game, and we spoke about this on the post-game show. An unbelievable playoff debut for him, 20 points on 7-12 to 12 shooting. Jamal Murray seemed like the one guy who really wanted that ball down the stretch, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, the one where he dribbled left and pulled up for the three, even though he's pretty cold and missed it by foot. <laughs> yeah, he seemed like the one guy who just kind of took the initiative, and that's sometimes just how it rolls in the Nuggets offense. Whoever wants to take that initiative can. If it's Will Barton, if it's Malik Beasley, if it's Paul Millsap or Jokic, and in this case it was Jamal Murray. He just kind of wanted those shots and took the ball and 
Some of the shots were good. Some of them were probably the poor shot selection that Michael Mullen referenced earlier today, but there was a lot of Jamal Murray going on at the end of this one. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, I think hero ball is, is probably not the right word. Jamal you know, wanted to have a good game, but got to play within himself a, a little bit more, I think, in game two, and I expect that he will. Yeah, this game two, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, this is a must win for Denver. If they go down 0-2, you can probably kiss their hopes in this series goodbye, especially heading back to San Antonio. So, I mean, this is a must-win game coming up Tuesday. I feel like the Nuggets are confident. That's the vibe I got after the game in the locker room. It's the vibe I got at practice today. They know that if they just made another three here or there, maybe just one more triple, you know, they would have won this one, so. Let's hit a break real quick. I want to talk about some defensive adjustments we could see Tuesday in Game 2 on the other side of this break. Also, a call from the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. I want to talk about Jokic's defense on LaMarcus Aldridge because we did not spend enough time on that topic after the game. And going back and rewatching this game a couple times, it really just continued to jump out. So uh, we will touch on that on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. Green Mountain Dental Group is a family-owned business that has been a staple in Lakewood for over 40 years. Whether it's cosmetic, oral surgery, or preventative dentistry, at Green Mountain Dental Group, you will find nothing but the best. We have chosen Green Mountain Dental and will continue to attend Green Mountain Dental because of the superior care that we receive from them. Their facility is amazing and above all, it's the personal touch that we receive from the people there, including Dr. Ben Jr. and Anne and Mary and Sherry and Marie. They've known me was my husband, my children, and now my grandchildren, and are just incredible with all of us. That was Annette. She's been a patient at Green Mountain Dental Group since 1976 and truly loves their service. Never did I think in 1976 how blessed we would be to recognize the people at Green Mountain Dental and are so thankful that they have been a part of our lives. For all new patients, Green Mountain Dental Group offers free teeth whitening trays when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. Just mention BSN Denver. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by The Green Solution. Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark here on a Monday. Let's go to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline because I think it will set up a little discussion about Denver's defense in Game 1. Some adjustments they might make for game two, and just some overall thoughts on how Denver played on that end of the floor. Let's go there right now. Uh, hey, guys. It's Chris in Denver. Um, like everyone else, I'm, I'm pretty pissed. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, I, I, don't, I think the team acquitted themselves well on the loss. Uh, you know, Murray, uh, Jokic, Barton, Beasley – Everyone that we were worried about on defense played pretty good defense. Um, they got down, I think they got down double digits and came back and could have won it with the last shot. There's a lot of times where they were just getting out executed. They could have quit but didn't. I think they showed a lot of mental toughness, and I think they showed that they were um, that they were just a better team. Uh, they missed like 47 three-point shots in the third quarter. I think if uh, Jokic takes if Jokic takes three more shots in the paint instead of passing to an open three-point shooter, which is technically the right play, but wasn't the right play at the time, I think they win. 
Um, you know, I, I think everyone acquitted themselves well. Um, Jokic had a just a monster defensive game. He was he was all over Aldridge like stink on shit. Uh, he had 10-14-14. Still has room to improve in his debut playoff game. Like that's not uh, that's not so bad. They went six of twenty eight from three. That's why they lost. Um, you know, I I I still feel pretty good. Um, I I just think they got popped. I think Malone uh, Malone and everyone else on the team. This is going to be a learning experience for them, and I think they're going to come back and uh, win the series. Still, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy though. Let me know, though. As always, love the show. Keep up the great work. Go Nuggets. Thanks for the call, Chris. I'd agree with your general thoughts there, most of your thoughts. I still feel pretty good about Denver in this series. Now they're going to have to win a game in San Antonio, but I don't think this game one loss is going to doom them. Now they've got to win game two, so we'll see how they respond. I like what you said about Jokic there and his defense on Aldridge. I thought this was one of the better games defensively that Nicole Jokic has played in his career. To be quite honest, I was really impressed with how he played against the Marcus Aldridge. Denver doubled Aldridge sometimes, but there were a ton of one-on-one possessions in the post on the elbow where Jokic and Aldridge were matched up, and I felt like Jokic definitely won that matchup, and this was one of the ones I think a lot of people were concerned about heading into the series. What stood out to you about how Jokic played Aldridge on the defensive end of the floor? Jokic was excellent on defense, and he just did the only thing you can do against Aldridge. You know, force him to, to take that fadeaway and get your hand up and contest. It's, it's almost in an unblockable shot, so mm-hmm. make sure you don't foul him, don't send him to the line. And Jokic just did a really good job of, of contesting that fadeaway, which you know is coming, and, and keeping LaMarcus Aldridge off the boards. It was fun to, I mean, it was fun to watch Jokic defend Aldridge. It was also fun to watch him and help because he was running around, man. Yeah. And it wasn't graceful, but... He was getting it done. There was a play in the fourth quarter where he went from the left block all the way to the right corner to run Rudy Gay off of a, a corner three, and Rudy Gay had to settle for contested mid-range, which he missed. So Jokic was hauling ass in this game, and it, it kind of, you know, watching him move his feet and sprint around like that, it made me think of what my high school coach used to yell at this slow-footed guy uh, when he was trying to, you know, sprint around and help foot, help defense. Get those gunboats moving! <laughs> That's great. I like what you said about how Jokic played in help side because he was everywhere when it comes to rotations and whatnot. And I have a theory about this Denver defense when Will Barton and Gary Harris and Jamal Murray see Nicole Jokic moving his ass like that on the defensive end of the floor. They're like, all right, I've really got no excuse right now not to bust my butt on defense. I thought this was just a great game from Jokic. Another part of his defensive performance that stood out to me Jokic is way stronger than most people think he is. He's probably stronger than we give him credit for. And we've talked a lot about just the power he has in this game, particularly on the offensive end. I felt like that power showed up in a big way on defense because Aldridge tried to back him down a lot in the post. He tried to put a shoulder into him. Jokic wasn't budging. You know, it takes a lot to move Nikola Jokic on the block on both ends of the floor. Oh, he's an absolute freaking unit. When he when he had that spin move in the first quarter, and I, yeah. I believe it was Bertans, there was no flopping there. I mean, that was a, that was a good called charge, but Bertans took a hit, man. Yeah, there were a lot of hard fouls in this game, but just how solid Jokic was defensively, I thought that was 
pretty significant, just held his ground. He, he held his ground, did not really give up an inch to Aldridge, and then really was able to contest a lot of stuff. And he picked up a couple fouls early in the first half, but stayed out of foul trouble for the rest of the game. It was a great performance from him. Yeah, and, you know, I think as far as Nicola's evolution as a defender goes, really the only gaping hole in his game defensively is just defending in space. And right. That's not something that's really going to show off in this series. So I would expect him to continue to be fine on the defensive end. As long as he's not having to defend, you know, elite ball handlers on an island, he's probably going to be fine. The only two deficiencies are the one you just said, his ability to defend in space and just jumping at the rim for block shots probably. He can actually block a fair deal of shots when he's like on the ground, but obviously he doesn't have the vertical leap of a Clint Capello or Rudy Gobert. He's actually blocks a lot of guys' shots like right when they release it or whatnot or comes over from the weak side to block somebody else like right before they get off the ground or right as they get off the ground. But rebounding, we know he's one of the best rebounders in the league on the offensive and defensive glass. He's got great instincts. He knows where to be positioning-wise. He's got great hands. He gets his hands on a lot of deflections. He's always you know, moving his hands into passing lanes and whatnot, can deflect a lot of balls that way. So the couple areas where you know he still needs to improve as a defender, one, defending in space, two, I don't know if he can naturally improve as a leaper, but those are the two areas you think about and really the only two areas where he struggles a lot. Well, that was kind of the way Dirk defended forever. I mean, he would get a lot of steals, or it was like a borderline blocker steal because he would be pretty close to the ground. I mean, he really just relied on uh, his great set of hands to, to get some deflections. He wasn't jumping straight up with, with verticality and blocking a lot of shots. That was kind of how Dirk tried to get by, similar to Nicola. So a great performance from him. Denver doubled a lot on Aldridge, but based on how Nikola Jokic played him in Game 1, maybe you don't have to double as much, but generally speaking, this was a pretty good game from Denver. I thought they held Aldridge to 6-19 from the field. You take that any day of the week, only 15 points for him in this one. DeMar DeRozan, similar stat line, 18 points on 6-17 shooting. It seemed like Gary Harris was the main assignment there. Will Barton also spent a lot of time on DeRozan. What did you think of just how Denver handled DeMar DeRozan in game one? Well, Denver did an awesome job on both the San Antonio's big guns. Will Barton, I think he blocked DeRozan's shot twice. His length, I think, really affected him, and he had DeRozan's number, honestly. And that's something we've seen from Barton. When he locks in, he can be a good defender, which is why he's kind of frustrating sometimes because, man, he goes through stretches where he just looks so bad on defense. But, like, this game, that game against Utah where he really got it going – I know Will Barton can defend. I, I wish he would just bring this more consistently. What about the game against the Thunder where he locked up Paul George that night? And, yeah, Paul George may have been a little injured battling that shoulder injury, but he locked him up. I agree, man. When Will Barton turns it on and really locks in on that end, he can be a plus defender. And, you know, up and down Denver's roster, I thought the Nuggets had some good defensive performances, but they did struggle to contain – the Spurs role players. And that's really where Denver lost this matchup. They held Aldridge down. They held DeRozan down. They weren't able to hold Rudy Gay, Bryn Forbes, and Derek White, who those three guys, they combined to miss nine shots uh, between those three players. Rudy Gay had 14 points on six and nine shooting. He got loose from three-point range a couple times, just some 
really bad mess ups by Denver communication wise on that end on Rudy Gay. And I mean, Gay's a guy who shot 40% from three this year. So you definitely don't want to leave him. Same goes for Bryn Forbes. The Spurs ran him through a ton of screens and Denver's guards got lost a lot when it came to keeping track of him and kind of same goes for Derek White. So that's going to be key for game two. Can Denver limit those three guys? Yeah, you, you got to stay close to Bryn Forbes. You, you can't afford to help too far off of him. I, I think he's pretty clearly the best outside shooter on their roster. And, man, he's developed into a nice player. I love me some Bryn Forbes. Yeah. I also love me some Marco Bellinelli, but we don't have to. We can spend a whole other podcast on that. <laughs> um, I thought that the Spurs, especially when Malik Beasley was in the game, they almost made an emphasis of running him through screens. I, I think that's a weak spot in Malik's game. It really stood out on, on the rewatches almost every time. Just he, he has such a habit of just running right into screens and, and kind of getting stonewalled. So I think he can be a little bit better in that. And I think overall, uh, Jamal Murray could especially stand to be a little bit better in the defensive end as well. Yeah, I thought Murray struggled defensively. And just some of the stuff we've seen from him all season, the blow-bys, Derek White had a couple where he got to the basket. Derek White also in transition blew by, I think, first Gary Harris, then Jamal Murray, then went right into Paul Millsap on that dunk, but he got by a couple of Denver's guards in transition before that. And, um, yeah, uh, overall it was a good enough defensive performance from Denver, but, you know, it certainly could have been better. The Spurs, they attempted 83 field goals in this one. They only attempted 15 threes. So, you know, 60-some-odd twos from the Spurs in this one, and, it seemed like three-quarters of those came from mid-range. Yeah, I, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but I know in the regular season, whenever the Nuggets held an opponent under 100, they won mm-hmm. almost every time. And, man, if it wasn't for such a poor shooting performance, this was just such an, an anomalous shooting performance, really. I mean, it, it stacks up with their worst three-point shooting performance in the regular season against Houston when they went 4 of 24. So, yeah, I, I agree. Overall, they were good on defense. I want to highlight this play. Um I thought this was honestly, I mean, it wasn't as bad as Jamal getting pickpocketed at half court, but this was one of the most damaging plays I think any Nugget made all game. Uh, and earlier in the fourth quarter, they kicked it to Bertans on the left wing, and, and Murray fouled him and gave him three free throws. And this had come right after Torrey Craig had, had hit a big corner three to get the lead to two. You know, who knows if he makes it, but if you're Jamal Murray, you're giving up, I don't know, seven inches anyway. Like, why foul? You're, you're not going to block the shot. Just contest and, and keep it moving. I thought that was a pretty rough play, and it killed a little bit of momentum. Yeah, that definitely set Denver back a bit and, and did kill some momentum. I've got one more defensive adjustment in mind that I think Denver could go to in game two. It involves the front court. First, though, a quick word from Strava. We're really excited to tell you guys about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft Coffee is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Make sure you check these guys out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped to decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we cannot recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. All right, welcome back to the show. One defensive adjustment I wouldn't be surprised if we saw from Denver, 
We know how good the Jokic and Plumlee front court pairing has been this season. It's been one of Denver's most efficient pairings. It's been good offensively. It's been good defensively. I don't know if it, there's a big place for it in this series, though, because typically you're playing that pairing against opposing bench units, and the Spurs will roll out a front court of either Davis Bertans and Jakob Pertl or Davis Bertans and LaMarcus Aldridge. And that means that more often than not, Mason Plumlee is going to be the guy that has to guard Davis Bertans. That happened in game one. I know Bertans hit like a really long range three when up against Plumlee with that Spurs second unit. And look, that lineup I think would be really good against Aldridge and Pirtle when those two are out on the floor together. But those guys only play together at the start of halves and at the end of halves. So that pairing has been great for Denver this season. I think the Nuggets want to make that work in this series, but I think it might be tough if either Jokic or Plumlee has to guard Bertans. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because, I mean, defensively, it is tough to ask one of them stand out on a three-point line and hang with Bertans. And you look at it on the other end, I mean, the Nuggets – they're trying like hell to just create space on the offensive end. They're bunching up like grapes anytime Nicole Jokic gets the ball. And him and Plumlee have been awesome, you know, in the aggregate. But I, I don't know if that's the best combo to create space around Nicole Jokic when they're doubling him. So I think that's a pretty fair point. I don't think it really makes sense to, to play Trey Lyles. Um, I mean, so I don't know. Maybe yeah. Maybe Plumlee can only be exclusively used as – Anytime Nikola Jokic goes to the bench in this one, I, I'm kind of with you. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch because you want to play that combo, but how the Spurs play their bigs and how they go small a lot with Bertans and just how he can stretch the floor, it's not the most natural matchup in the world. We'll see how it goes. Game two should be exciting. I mean, this is a must-win game two for Denver. They can absolutely not go back to... San Antonio down 0-2. Last guy I wanted to hit on, I thought Torrey Craig had a nice night. He's also going to be key in this series against DeRozan. Uh, he'll be one of the guys the Nuggets throw on DeRozan. Anything in particular stand out about his night? I mean, those two threes in the in the fourth quarter, I thought those were freaking huge. Um, right, that those two, yeah. That felt like a momentum shifter, the one he hit from the left corner. And then, like I said, Murray fouled Bertans on the three, and then he had another one deep on the left wing. I did not think that was going in when it left his hands. Kudos to him for stepping in confidently, knocking those down. You know, I love Torrey Craig as just the ninth guy on a pretty good team. I think that's the perfect role for him. I think the Nuggets are using him properly. And in the playoffs, he's just going to have to prove that he can knock down threes in, in game one he did. Right. You said this a little earlier. I think in game two, the Nuggets need to make sure they have really good spacing around Nikola Jokic. There were some times where Jokic would get the ball on the block and Jamal Murray would be caught kind of just like right under the hoop. And I mean, that just brings an extra defender closer to Jokic. So Denver's got to remember to space the floor, especially when Jokic has the ball on the block so they can really pay for the Spurs sending that double. Another adjustment I'd make in De if I was Denver, some more minutes from Malik Beasley. Only 15 minutes in this game one for Malik, and he's been one of Denver's best three-point shooters all season. You would think with the Nuggets struggling to make a lot of threes, he'd be a guy you want out there more. So that's what I would do if I was Denver in game two as well. 
I love me some Malik Beasley. I can I can understand why Michael Bowen might have kept kind of a tight leash in, in game one. He did struggle a little bit defensively getting lost, and he also had that player who just stepped on the inbounds line. But right. brain farts happen, I guess. We'll see what happens in game two. I think that's all the time we got for today. Appreciate you guys listening. If you got a second, head on over to iTunes. Drop us a quick five-star review. It literally takes two or three seconds. You're probably listening on iTunes right now, or if you're not, search the BSN Nuggets podcast. Helps us grow the show, and we really appreciate it. We'll be back with another episode breaking down a winner or loss in Game 2, Tuesday night at Pepsi Center, 7 o'clock p.m., a must-win for Denver. We'll talk to you guys after that one. Until then. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out elixinol.com.